All right, you can open your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 15. And as you turn there, please do go by the table out front, pick up a yard sign, represent, invite your neighborhood, and also pick up some invite cards and let's get that going uh, because uh, it, is, it is statistically the absolute best Sunday to invite people to church. And the number one reason people attend church is still the same, because somebody invited me. So it's up to you. It's not that difficult to do that, to invite somebody to church. Invite, invite, invite until somebody says, yes, I'll go. Sometimes we're afraid of rejection. Uh, that's not because uh, God wants us to stop. It's because it's a natural tendency. We hate rejection. So just keep inviting. Now, we finished last week. Last week we had three baptisms, had three baptisms today. And we finished on this great song, Happy Day, and sang that song today, and because that's what was happening in uh, Exodus chapter 15, 3,500 years ago. Uh, God had just done the, the, the ultimate miracle. He had liberated over 2 million people from 400 years of slavery. That's a biggie. And he did it through a series of 10 plagues followed by this miracle uh, uh, account where he parts the Red Sea. And we talked about all of the details of that. He marched them across in one night. Uh, on a dry soil in the bottom of this sea. And when they got to the other side, he closed the waters and drowned uh, all of their enemies, the ones who had, had held them captive. And so they all died in the sea. Now, we talked about the logical response to when God does something beautiful like that um, in salvation and baptism. You say, what did that have to do with baptism? We saw last week, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 15, he says, uh, Israel were baptized, saved and baptized into Moses, okay? And so it was a picture of what we see today. And just like we had new life uh, experience through the symbol of baptism today, that's what was going on. That was what was at play in Israel 3,500 years ago. And so what do they do? What's the logical step, man? When you know God has done something radically amazing in your life, you got to worship God. And so that's what they did. Moses wrote this song. Most of chapter 15 of Exodus is a song written by Moses, a celebration of, of, of our great God. At the end of it, Miriam, his sister, jumps, gets a little carried away, picks up a tambourine. She writes some song, and, and they started, all the women started dancing around singing. And all I said it last week, all the Baptist Hebrews got uncomfortable because it's getting a little carried away. It's a big day, and it's the right thing to do when God does something great. Now, it's easy to worship on a good day. It's easy to worship on an oh happy day when God seems to be doing everything you want him to do in your life. It's easy to worship. But some days are just old hard days. They don't come with, with just a, a ready reason to worship and sing oh happy day. Those days are where the song of choice might be if you're old and you watched Hee Haw growing up. And they, the song... For your life on those days would be gloom, despair, and agony on me. If there were no bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Or it may be Willie Nelson's blue eyes crying in the rain. But oh, happy day doesn't make the cut for the day. So what do we do on those days when things are not oh, happy day? How do we live our life? What do we say? And how do we act when life is not what we had hoped it would be for the day. You see, some days are days where God has us in a test. Maybe faith testing, trust testing, maybe spiritual growth testing, spiritual warfare testing, resilience training. Sometimes God has us in those moments. 
I want you to see something today that just like God led them to this victory service, standing at the Red Sea shore, watching their enemies perish, he led them to the next part of their journey. How would they respond? That's the question. How do we respond? So when the worship service is over and life deals you a hard day, now watch this. Has anybody had like a really good day in the last six months? Just a really good day. Amen. Some of y'all we're going to have to pray for. It's been six months. It's a drought of good days. It's probably better than you're giving God credit for. How many have had a bad day in the last six months? More of us. Okay, yeah. Okay, we're going to talk about that today. So, so here's the deal. What do we do on those hard days? The title of the message on the back of your life guide is this. When the music fades, when the old happy day song's over, when you've left that moment of worship because God has done something dramatically cool in your life and the music fades, what do we do now? We're going to be introduced to a word in the Bible the first time it shows up. You ready? It's a funny word, murmur. Now, I'm going to call them complainers. Because murmurers is hard to say. So everybody all together, listen what it sounds like when everybody starts murmuring at the same time. Everybody say murmur, murmur. That's what God hears from the church a lot. Murmur, murmur, okay? That's what it sounds like. Do it again, murmur, murmur. Oh, I, that's what the preacher hears sometimes too. That's what Moses heard. Now here's what's amazing. Our default, our flesh response to a difficult day often is to murmur and complain, okay? And we're gonna learn something about that today. We're gonna be warned about it today. And we all have complainers in our life, murmurers in our life. Sometimes we play the part. A murmurer, a complainer, is the person that tends to suck all the good energy out the room, okay? A complainer is the person that you have learned never to say, hey, how's everything going? And as soon as you do, you say, did I just say that? I meant to think it. I did not mean to say that. One of the jobs as a pastor is, go to, is to go to assisted living or nursing homes. The number one top 10 list hit of questions not to ask at the nursing home. Hey, how you doing? They're doing terrible or they wouldn't be there. And so, so, so there's people that you learn to strategically not say, hey, how you doing? Because they might just answer. And so the person who is a complainer, struggles to fire off a positive comment because negativity is always in the chamber just looking for a target, okay? And it's not a new thing. We're going to see that this originated long before we got here, okay? And it's going to continue until Jesus returns. I honestly believe there'll be no murmuring in the promised land. There'll be no mur murmuring in heaven, no complaining in heaven, no complaining when Jesus rules and reigns for the millennial reign on this earth. No complaining because we'll take out all of the sin and all the suffering and all of the hurt. And what a wonderful day that will be. So point number one on the back of your life, God, is this. Complainers refuse responsibility. Complainers refuse responsibility. In Exodus chapter 15, they had their worship service. Now, what do we do next? Verse 22 says, Then Moses led Israel to journey away from the Red Sea. 
And they went out to the wilderness of Shur, which is the Sinai Peninsula. And they walked for three days into the wilderness, and they found no water. Then they came to Marah, but they were unable to drink the waters at Marah because they were bitter. Verse 24, so the people murmured and complained against Moses, saying, what can we drink? See, you read it, you, you think, what can we drink? That's not how they said it. They, they weren't asking, an they weren't giving an inquiry about what we can drink. They're whining and complaining and murmuring already. Verse 25, Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when Moses threw it in the water, the water became safe to drink. He said, the Lord made for them a binding ordinance, and there he tested them. Okay? So pause. God leads us sometimes to bitter waters for a test. Okay? God leads us to that place where it's not an oh, happy day day to see how we're going to respond and to see what we're going to do. It says there the Lord made a binding ordinance and there he tested them and this is the binding ordinance. Now listen closely. He said if you will diligently obey the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and pay attention to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, then all the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians I will not bring on you. For I the Lord am your hearer. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees, and they camped there by the water. This is the first time this word comes up. And they're, they're murmuring about water. It, you would think they'd been gone for a month. You know what I'm saying? Three days. I mean, they just had a party. And three days later, let me go drink. I mean, it's like, your seven-year-old or your 10-year-old or your four-year-old. That's what we do sometimes. It's our natural default. And they're refusing to take responsibility. You see, Moses didn't make them leave. They wanted to leave. 400 years they had cried out to God to make a way for them to leave oppression. But they, on this, in this moment, it seems like they have forgotten. Now, I want you to notice what the Holy Spirit did not inspire Moses to write. It's important to notice what's not in there. Because in this moment, three days into the journey, three days post-deliverance, three days post-celebration, it is now that we're murmuring, and this is not what is said. It did not say, the people began to inquire about water. That would have been logical. It does not say some of the mothers asked Moses if he knew anyone who had extra water because they had run out. Didn't say that. It doesn't say the men came to Moses and said, Moses, can we put together a team to go find us some water? It doesn't say some of the people realized that they had not brought enough water for the trip and they were concerned. It doesn't say... The people remembered that Moses is their liaison to God and God is doing some really cool miracles. So I wonder what God will do next. It doesn't say the people came to Moses and said, Moses, can we have a thirsty prayer meeting to ask God to provide some water? Didn't say any of that. 
It said they murmured and they complained against their leader. And so 3,500 years later, it's easy to look back and say, that's sorry bunch of Hebrews. When in reality, that's what we look like in the mirror. We all play that part sometimes. Some of us play it way too much. Some of us have had lots of practice, okay? I had somebody in the early service come to me afterwards and said, do you think we can have a service and I could bring my wife and we could anoint her with oil and pray over the murmuring? I said, that's on you, man. I don't want no part of that, okay? Now, Moses' response is amazing because I want you to know sometimes from the leader's vantage point, the devil uses complaining and murmuring to distract the leader from what he or she is supposed to be doing, not for Moses. Moses responds and he says, I'll just go pray. <clears throat> That's what I'm going to do. And God told Moses exactly what to do. God said, Moses, you see that tree? That's a sweet tree. You put that sweet tree in that bitter water and it will make that water safe to drink. You see, God had a plan all along. And I want you to know, if you're in a, bit, a bitter moment, if you're strolling around in bitter waters, God wants to step into those bitter waters and sweeten those waters and make it palatable and make it nutritious and to use it to better you, to benefit you, and to make you more of what God wants you to be. God had intentionally brought them to this place just like he intentionally brought them to the edge of the Red Sea and God would intentionally continue to lead them where he wanted them to go over the next 40 years in the wilderness. Meanwhile, they miss the whole thing. God says, listen, this is, this is a, a place where we drive a stake in the ground. This is a place where you're going to trust me and you're going to place your faith in me and me alone, or you're not. And so he said, I'm going to give you this ordinance. And if you read the ordinance, he said the same thing four times. Basically, what he's saying is this. If you will act like a child of mine, I will act like your father. If you'll just do what I say and learn what I say and be who I say and go where I say to go, and act like my children, I'm going to be your father. That's really cool. And today, we have the same God who wants to display a father love in our life. Every day, he desires to do that. The question is, just like it was then, will they listen or will they not? Will you listen or will you not? Now, tangibly, what does that look like? For God to lead you to a bitter season a bitter water only to use it to take you someplace else 1984 I graduated from Tennessee Tech that was when we were chiseling our names on stone and everybody was graduating at the same time there were no jobs it was a rough season interest rate was about 12 or 13 percent and there were just no openings. But there was this foundry in Chattanooga. A foundry is where you take metal, heat it up to liquid form, pour it into a mold, and make something use, useful out of it. 
and they had openings. And my friends and I were talking about sending a resume, and they wouldn't send their resume. They said, I'm not going to a foundry. They're dirty, and they are. They're nasty. And it's hot in the summer. It is. It's cold in the winter. It is. It's high production, intense. It was. It's pressure. It is. It's run all day long, lots of responsibility. Yes, it was. They didn't send their resume. But as for me, I wanted a job. I was tired of school. I wanted some money coming in. I was getting ready to get married to Kendra, so I sent them my resume. So I went down there. It was terrible. It was miserable. Hot, dirty, nasty, pressure. I mean, on us all the time, 12 hours a day, six days a week, 3.30 to 3.30, six days a week a lot. But Kendra and I got married while I was working in those bitter waters. And God put us in a great church. And we started attending church every Sunday and Wednesday and Sunday night. We're going to Sunday school. We're giving our money. I'm going on visitation. Okay, I was hungry for Jesus. And it was in that bitter season, in that bitter place, that God began to sweeten those waters. Now, listen to what happened. I was young. I was 21 years old, 22 years old. And all these guys were seasoned in the foundry industry. They would give me projects, and God started blessing those things, and every project they gave me would flourish. I'm not making this up. I had a nickname in that place. You ready? Golden Boy. That's what the, They made fun of me. Everything you touch turns to gold. I said, it ain't me. I'm, I would tell them, it's not me. I'm, you know, the Lord's doing some fun stuff. And everything would flourish, okay? Now, in those bitter waters, God blessed me. God gave me promotions there, provided for our family. But I, I, was, I hated it. I hated the place. I loved what God was doing, but I hated the place. I didn't complain. But just like Moses, I prayed for something new. And these opportunities would come up, and I would think, okay, that's where God's going to send us next. No. We had a two-year-old and a baby on the way, and an opportunity opened. And we moved to Birmingham, and I went from that job to a job driving a brand-new company car, okay, with a cell phone in a day when nobody had cell phones. That mug was mounted in my car. Had to drill a hole in the roof to put an antenna. Had my, if I wanted to take it on the golf course, took it out and put it in a bag. This is how you had your phone right here, okay? Now, listen. I had a company car with a phone. I was on expense account making amazing money. I remember the first commission check. I didn't even know I was getting. It was $9,000 in 1991. That was a lot of money. Kendra, she, she thought I'd stolen it. She, she didn't believe it either, okay? Listen to me. I played golf three or four days a week. That was my job. I took people out to eat. That was my job. Now, don't get me wrong. I worked hard. I sold some stuff, okay? But the funniest part of that whole bitter water turned sweet was on Sundays after church, my wife and I and our two little girls, Caitlin and Kelsey, would go to the country club and eat brunch while looking at an ice sculpture. Do you realize how far away from a foundry that is? Okay. I mean, everything changed. We were so far out of our league we would travel, staying at the embassy suite. I remember when I started a company of my own, and we stayed in a regular hotel, and they wanted to know why our room didn't have a, a couch and why, and why downstairs they didn't make omelets and give you what was called red juice, 
okay? I mean, our world changed. Now, listen to me. It was, I was not golden boy. I was, I was obedient to God, and God turned bitter water sweet. And I want you to know today, if you're in a bitter season, a bitter moment, a bitter relationship, a bitter situation, the answer is not to murmur. The answer is not to complain about it. The answer is to hold your head up and pray to God and wait for him to use your bitter water to prepare you for sweeter waters to come because that's what he does. Now, sometimes the bitter waters are God's way of preparing us and inviting us to the sweetness that only he can offer. You see, sometimes what we do when we're in bitter water, we try everything. We try to throw everything in that bitter water to sweeten that water. You cannot, you cannot sweeten bitter water that God has led you to. You cannot do it. God has to do that for you, and he will, just like he did in the book of Exodus. Now, notice again uh, Moses' response It would have been real easy for him to get sideways, but he didn't. He just did what God told him to do, and God said, now here's your ordinance. Moving forward, simply act like my children. So sometimes complainers just refuse to take responsibility, and so they complain about the people around them or the situation that they're in. When all the while, I told somebody this the other day, we don't have problems. Problems just exist. And you step into them. What we have is solutions. Solutions. God gives us solutions to the problems that already exist. I read this quote. You can complain because roses have thorns or you can rejoice because thorns have roses. You know who wrote that? Ziggy in the funny papers. That's where we get. And that rung a bell. You know, it's true. We can complain because a rose has a thorn, or we can rejoice because a thorn has a rose. Depends on how we want to look at our situation, okay? And that's what God was telling the nation of Israel. And 3,500 years later in 2023, it's true for me and for you. Number two, complainers are contagious. They're contagious. Exodus chapter 16. Now listen what happens. God provided for them. You think they're going to be quiet now? No. For 40 years, they're going to murmur. 40 years, they're going to complain. I listen, because it's contagious. It says in chapter 16, verse 1, when they journeyed from Elam, the entire company of Israelites came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month. It's been about 30 days now rather than three, after their exodus from the land of Egypt. The entire company of Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron. Before it was the people, some of the people, a party. Now it's the entire group. And now it's not just on Moses. It's like Moses' brother Aaron, he's no better. We'll complain on him too. So that's what they did. Verse 3, the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And I'm guessing 30 days into that, Moses wanted to give a great big amen to that. Yeah, if you would have just died, I could get my sheep back. But no, I got to deal with y'all. But he didn't do that. Moses kept moving forward. So this complaining ideology 
has spread now through the whole people. Now, it's easy to look sometimes at somebody else and say, how could they do that? God had been so good to them. How could they just complain and complain and complain? It's in the church, too. It's in our homes. It's in our relationships. It's at work. It's our flesh default tendency is to simply complain. And, and it's contagious. We hear a little bit rather than holding our head up and moving on. I may start a new thing. I thought about this in the early service. The next time somebody comes to me and complains, right, right there in the middle of it, I say, thanks for sharing that. Let me pray. Just to disarm them and empower me, okay? Just pray. Okay, let's see what God says about that, okay? Now, they're all murmuring and complaining. Before, they were just thirsty. Now they're saying, if we would have just died, it would be better than this, Right? If, if the Lord would have just killed us while we were in Egypt, it would be better than being thirsty. All of a sudden, their physical needs outweighed anything else there was. And you know it's that way with us sometimes. We, after church, we go over there and we have to wait. I don't like to wait. I like to eat. When I show up at a restaurant, I want to eat. I don't want to wait, okay? Just like if I go to, if I go to Dollywood, I go up there to ride, not stand in line. I hate that part, right? And so we get frustrated, right? If our physical needs, if our desires are not met. Meanwhile, God has something greater for us, greater than our physical needs. In James chapter 3, he warns us about how we respond to things in this world. He warns us about this little thing in our mouth. Everybody stick your tongue out. That's disgusting. Put that back up. That little thing inside your mouth causes you more trouble than anything else, more than the people around you, more than anything else. That's what causes you the trouble. Listen to what James says about it. This is verse 5. So too the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. Think how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence, and it is set on fire, listen to this, by hell. That's pretty heavy words. That little thing in your mouth is set on fire by hell, okay? Now he goes on, he says, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, sea creature is subdued and has been subdued by humankind. But no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse people made in God's image. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so, my brothers and sisters. A spring does not pour out fresh water, and bitter water from the same opening does it. It's amazing, isn't it? God knows us. He knows what our tendency is, and complaining is one of them. Now, let me just ask you a question. Has anybody complained any this week? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of liars. I have to preach online next week. Confess. I'm going to preach on confession, okay? We all complain. We'll, some of us will do it today. Have you seen how long my tea's been empty? When she comes back, I told her I wanted some more tea. She brings you tea. He brings you tea. I asked for lemon. I didn't want the yellow sweetener. I wanted the pink sweetener. 
That's what I drink. How's your food? Yeah, mine's not that good. Mine's, I think it's been laying back there on the shelf, honestly. We just, everywhere we go, we pick up our kids. They get in the car. Get in the car, get in the car seat. Get in the car seat, get in the car seat. What are we going to do with him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't notice it this morning, but why did you wear that? That looks awful, you know? Did you shave? You should have shaved. It's Sunday. We go you shave. I mean, complain. We just complain all the time. That's what we do. Meanwhile, I read this great quote from Mark Twain. He said this, stop complaining about your problems. 80% of the people don't care, and 20% of the people think you deserve it. It's true. It's true. Number three, complainers have selective memories. Complainers have selective memories. Exodus, Exodus 16, now the second part of three, on to six, it says, when we sat by the pots of meat, now they're reminiscing, and we ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people will go out and gather the amount for each day so that I may test them, will they walk in my law or not? On the sixth day, they will prepare what they bring in, and it will be twice as much as they gather every other day. Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites in the evening, you will know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Hebrews now had moved past being thirsty, and now we're hungry. We hangry, okay? We don't have anything to eat. It sounds like Moses is on a middle school camping trip, right? Just whining and complaining. Not these middle schoolers, but other middle schoolers. Just whining and complaining or, or, or kindergarten, whatever group you want to do. And it's not. It's adults. It's you. It's me. It's us. Whining and complaining and all reminiscing about the good old days. They, they're thinking... I remember pots of meat and bread to the full every day. Right on the heels of getting a whiplashing because I was a slave. Now they forget 400 years of oppression, 400 years living in a rental in a borrowed land, 400 years wishing and praying they were free, 400 years of oppression, 400 years of, of, of the inability to leave, to come and go if you needed all they remember is pots of meat and bread. We are the dumbest bunch of people. I remember several years ago, Kendra's grandmother, her name was Cleta. She was a rock star. She, was, she loved Jesus. She was so cool. And I remember one day, she was in her 80s. She was probably about 80 or late 70s. Somebody said, Granny Cleta, what was it like to live in the, the good old days? She goes, we're in the good old days. I mean, she got fired up. We're in the good old days. There ain't nothing good about carrying coal in so you can heat your house. There's nothing good about bringing wood in so you can heat the stove and cook something. There ain't nothing good about taking a midnight stroll out into the woods to use the bathroom. She went on and on and on. And all of a sudden realized, oh, she's right. We're in the good old days. Sometimes all we remember are the good things in our past when we get disappointed with the present and we want to go back. Sometimes people complain about you. You know what they say? The church is getting too big. I don't know everybody. Well, praise the Lord. We'll know them when we get to heaven. I don't know all y'all. 
Y'all know me, or you should. I get up here every week, okay? And, and, and so people complain about the goofiest things. Sometimes people complain because kids make a mess on something. Praise the Lord. Messes are the fingerprints of God's blessing sent to us through children. And sometimes we forget that. And so we, we just want to complain. And we have these selective memories. Matthew 4, Jesus addressed the value of our spiritual need over the value of our physical needs. He said this, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was famished. Makes sense. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus did not de deny his physical hunger. Jesus just knew he had to focus on something better. And sometimes we get these selective memories where we remember something good from the past and we can't, we can't learn from the present what God is trying to teach us. And so we need to learn how to navigate through difficult times by just raising our head up and finding out what God wants to teach us. Part of the Christian journey is to keep looking forward and to simply press on. He he's not going to leave us where we are. You, you hear what they said? He said he's brought us out here, and he's going to starve us to death. Yeah, like God was saying, oh, you're sharp. I performed ten amazing plagues. I parted the Red Sea. I destroyed your enemy so I could bring you out here and starve you to death. Ha ha, joke's on you. You figured me out. How insane is that? And that's what they thought. Meanwhile, God was doing what God does. And so to avoid a selective memory, we should focus on what God is using this difficulty for in our life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 says, Not that I have already attained this, that is, I have not already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have attained this. Instead, I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the next time you begin to complain about something, pause and remember that the past was not perfect. It had only a different flavor of challenge. We can all complain right now. You could complain about me preaching too long. You could complain about your seat being too cramped up, people too close to you. You could complain about how you couldn't find a parking spot. We could all complain. We, could all, we all got something to complain, right? But it doesn't do us any good. It doesn't help anything. And so we've got to lose that mentality. Number four, complainers forget who's listening. Complainers forget who's listening. Exodus chapter 16, verse 7, And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your murmurings against the Lord. As for us, what are we that you should murmur against us? Moses said, You will know this. 
When the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread in the morning to satisfy you because the Lord has heard your murmurings. Now, God was not rewarding them with food because of their complaining. God was giving them food because he promised to give them food. He goes on, he says, you are murmuring against him. And as for us, what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, tell the whole community of the Israelites, come before the Lord because he has heard your complaining or your murmurings. As Aaron spoke to the whole community of the Israelites, they looked toward the wilderness, and there the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud, and the Lord spoke to Moses. I have heard the murmurings of the Israelites. Tell them during the evening you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be satisfied with bread so that you may know that I am the Lord your God. You see, they're complaining against God, and God just keeps being God. doesn't affect God. He's still God, but it affected them. And it's the same for us. When we murmur and complain and moan and whine and, and do all that stuff, it doesn't affect God's glory. He's God, but it affects you, and it affects God's, uh, God's ability to use you and so we've got to change the way we do things. Now, Israel never got it. They would do this for the next 40 years. You see, they could have traveled in about a month straight to the promised land, but they weren't ready. They weren't ready to fight for their freedom. They weren't ready to defend and trust God. They weren't ready to, to just have faith rather than murmur and complain. It took them 40 years to get through it. Did God care? He just kept loving them. He provided for them. But did he respond? Were there consequences to their complaining and their whining? Numbers chapter 32 reaches back and describes it. It says in verse 10, So the anger of the Lord was kindled that day, and he swore, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly. You remember his ordinance? Pay attention to my commandments. Pay attention to my statutes. Be obedient and do what I say. That was it. That was it. And they didn't do it. So on this day, his anger burned. He says, because they have not followed me wholeheartedly, not one of the men 20 years old and upward who came from Egypt will see the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You hear what he said? If you were 20 or older 40 years ago, you don't make it to the promised land. Only the people who were 20 and less and born during the next 40 years would make it into the promised land because of their whining and complaining and faithlessness and, and, and their inability to trust God. Verse 12, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, Ken, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, son of Nun, for they followed the Lord wholeheartedly. So the Lord's anger was kindled against the Israelites and made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years until all that generation that had done wickedly before the Lord was finished or when they died. So we need to pause and think about our complaining. We need to stop. We need to put the brakes on and realize when we complain, the only people hearing it are not us and the people we're complaining with or to. God's listening he hears us, and, and when, we're when we are complaining, we're saying to God, God, I am not satisfied with this situation where I'm at. I'm not content here. God, I don't trust that you have me here for a reason. God, I, I, 
I don't have faith enough to be a problem solver instead of continually being a problem finder. God's listening. So in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, it says, You must let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, but only what is beneficial for the building up of the one in need, that it would give grace to those who hear. Imagine if every time we complained, we were channels of grace to the people around us. Matthew 12, 36 says, I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. It's a big deal. That word murmuring or Grumbling appears nine times in three chapters. That's a lot. 15, 16, and 17, nine times. Quarreling, three times. Testing, two times. It'll be the way they do things for the next 40 years. And listen to me. If we don't change the way we do things, it'll be the the way we do things for the next 40 years. I hope I'm not here 40 years. That would put me in triple digits. I don't know any triple-digit person that I aspire to be. That's a rough life. If you make it to 100, it's rough. I'm praying that the Lord comes on back, takes us all home, or takes me home before I get to 100. But ever how long God gives us, a day or 40 years, we need to change the way we're doing things and be a blessing rather than a, a whining, murmuring complainer. And we live in a world of whining and complaining. You get that, right? If you, don't, if, you're not, if you don't know it, just turn on your TV. You got all of these groups. You got the woke joke crew screaming about their rights. You got the critical race theory community screaming about their agenda. You got the LGBTQ alphabet soup group making noise about tolerance. You got one party, political party, screaming at another political party. All of it just whining and complaining and all the while, all together, say murmur, murmur, say it. That's what it sounds like. That's what the world starts sounding like from God's vantage point. God's like, I give you life. I give you freedom. I give you a relationship with me through Jesus, my son. I give you an open door of access to me in prayer. I have prepared a place for you in heaven forever. And you want to complain about the most insignificant things rather than to be a channel of grace to the world around you. So when the music fades in our marriage, the music fades in our family, the music fades in our church, and the music fades in, at work, and the music fades, how do we respond? Will we complain or will we be channels of grace? Philippians 2 verse 14 says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. That's why. Grumbling and arguing is the opposite of blameless and pure. So you'll be children of God without blemish. Though you live in a crooked and perverse society, that's what they do, and you live in that. But you are to shine as lights in that world. You see, when we're complaining, we're not sh- we, you can't shine a light and complain at the same time. The world's complaining. Our job is to turn the light on. 
And I know that's not you, but you know somebody like that. So I did a little research. How, do, how can you know if you're a complainer? You ready? This, this, I compiled this list from several lists. Complainers often fail to know or admit that they're a complainer. They don't even see it. Complainers make themselves feel better about themselves by complaining about the shortcomings of others around them. Complainers tend to disguise their complaints as realistic, constructive criticism. (laughs) Complainers frequently fail to consider the other person's life journey or their abilities. Complainers typically perceive their comments as positive, even though they have a negative impact. Complainers fail to consider the sovereignty of God in using things that are not perfect to achieve His glory. Complainers display a lack of faith in God's desire or ability to accomplish all that he has said. Ephesians 5.20, we're almost done, says, Always giving thanks to God, the Father for all things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, always rejoice, constantly pray, in everything give thanks for for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The alternative to complaining is rejoicing. When things are bitter, find a way to rejoice in the bitterness and let God turn that bitter water into sweet water. And you can do it. You say, well, I've been complaining my whole life. I don't think I can quit. (laughs) Don't defend it. That's that's lunacy when people defend their sin condition, okay? Don't, don't, Don't defend it. You want to know how, you're, how you can know for sure if you're a complainer? You ready? If you leave today and you complain about me preaching on complaining, you're a complainer. So I'm looking for some full disclosure. If you leave today and your spouse or your children complain about me preaching on complaining, you call me and I'll know they're a complainer and I'll stay away from them. Okay? You can't do that. And yet we look for reasons to complain. It's just that simple. You might be a complainer if you complain. If you complain today before the service began, you might be a complainer if you typically say more negative things than positive things. You might be a complainer if you have a tendency to focus on the negative. You might be a complainer if you defend the complaint as a pursuit of excellence. You might be a complainer if you cannot allow another person's performance to be acceptable without your criticism. You might be a complainer if no one invites you to dinner. You might be a complainer if all you do is complain. And sometimes, I'm talking to myself, I find myself, I think about it, all I do is complain. And it's acceptable out there. But when it comes into the church, we got to get through that. So the challenge for today is this, if you're a complainer, stop. The next time you want to complain, try really hard to reformat your complaint to something positive. And God will bless you because we are supposed to be instruments of light and grace. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes and we're done. Jesus was under attack from the time he launched his ministry at 30 years old for the next three years. Everything he did, everything he said, every place he went, he was under attack. Everybody complained against him and he never responded by complaining back. He simply did what the Father wanted him to do. He's our template. He's our role model. Absolute worst case scenario of bitter waters. He walked right through it. 
He navigated through every day of it without complaining. And that's who we are to aspire to be. Father, I thank you for letting us look at somebody else's life and learn from it. God, I pray that we would not be a people who just murmur and complain. God, I pray that we will be instruments of grace and light in a dark and graceless world. And God, I pray that on this very day, if there's someone here listening or online listening that does not have a relationship with you, God, that this would be the day that your Holy Spirit would invite them into your forever family and that they would receive your grace gift through Jesus, that they would simply confess who they are before you, a sinner in need of a Savior, <clears throat> and they would receive the grace of Jesus, his death, burial, resurrection, and that they would make Jesus the Lord of their life beginning right now forevermore. But God, for the whole church, help us, God, help this place be different. Help us stop complaining at church and stop complaining in our families and stop complaining at the restaurants and stop complaining at the schools and stop complaining on the job and stop complaining every place we go in our circles of friends and let's move, let's change the trajectory of our conversations to a rejoicing conversation because in every bitter spot in our life, you desire to sweeten the waters, and you want to use us to do it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.